1: Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, and today I'm joined by two of my colleagues at Purdue, um, Anne Grit and Christy Masters, and I'm going to let each of them talk about themselves a little bit.
2: Okay, so um, hi, my name is Christy Masters. I'm a Clinical Associate Professor and Speech-Language Pathologist at Purdue University. Uh, My background began as a speech-language pathologist working with young children, and then um, eventually I really focused on early intervention, so providing services in the homes of um, children and families that have special needs or delays or at risk for delays, um, primarily in California and Hawaii. And then when I moved here, um, I do our early intervention clinic here at Purdue and um, also see. Um, Kids for Stuttering and Other Developmental Language
0: Disorders. And I'm Ann Gritt. I'm a Clinical Assistant Professor at Purdue and a speech language pathologist. I started out in the public schools K-12 through and then uh, moved on to early intervention through Indiana's First Steps program um, and loved it and then uh, moved on to some preschool work. So I traveled around to lots of different child care centers and preschools and homes to work with children and their um, care providers and their families. And now I'm at Purdue and I work with Heather and we co-lead the preschool language program here.
1: Thank you. Um, so I asked Christy and Anne if they would come on um, because I feel like they, I've just learned so much working with you guys um, coming from a childcare care uh, context and moving into this sort of more therapeutic context. Um, and I thought it would be really useful for other people who are in the child care context to hear what you guys have to share. So um, in keeping with the, the uh, podcast tradition, I guess. I have a quote, it's not very exciting, but it's from um, the NACI Code of Ethics, and it's Ideal 1-9. We have a responsibility as professionals working with young children to advocate for and ensure that all children, including those with special needs, have access to the support services they need to be successful. Um, so can I start by asking you, um, each or one or both of you, whoever wants to answer this, why is it so important that we that we catch um, these kind of communication needs early, and and provide them with the therapeutic services.
2: I'll, I'll start, Manila, and jump in. Um, so I mean, the first five years of life, I think um, you and so many people know this, that they're, they're so important for development and learning. And those neural circuits are, are really firing at that time. So the earlier we can intervene, the quicker these kids can catch up and hopefully um, be at the same um, level as their peers. So, And uh, kids that have speech and language difficulties, often, as they get later on into the school-age years, will have um, reading and other phonological awareness difficulties and maybe even some social skills difficulties. So if we can catch these things early on, it's um, ideal because then we can help um, prevent some of those other issues from happening later on down the road. So um, I think you covered it. Yeah. (laughs) And and I just want to say, too, that, Heather, we, I know I can speak for both of us, that we've learned so much from you, and I think that collaboration between teachers and speech pathologists is fantastic. Um, I also go into preschools, and we do speech and language screenings, and so the teachers are often some of the first people that that really recognize that there might not be something right with speech and language, and so by us doing the screening, it kind of confirms any of their concerns and helps the conversation with parents go a little bit easier, I think.
1: Yeah, and when I was in a a classroom setting and childcare programs, I often had uh, SLPs coming in to work with the children, Um, but I was unsure how to, like what that collaboration should look like. So I hope that through this conversation, at least it's a starting point for the folks who are listening to kind of know when those folks are in our classrooms or in our homes, what can I be doing Mm -hmm. to support and why is it important that we work on that collaboration um so one of the first things I I I gave these guys a couple of, of topics and we'll kind of start with those and wander wherever it goes. But one of the things that I learned that I hadn't really thought of before coming into this position was that speech and language are not interchangeable terms. Is is that accurate? Yes. Very true. <laughs> okay. but it's common, I thought I learned that. <laughs> it's,
0: it's common that they're used interchangeably. And so um Often that's one of our first conversations with a parent or a child care provider is helping them understand the difference uh, between speech and language. So I like to say that speech is how you say it. So thinking about the speech sounds and your articulation and language is what you say. But also we know that language is broader. So what you're understanding and what you're doing socially as well. Mm
1: Do you want to add anything, Christy? I don't want
0: to well, interrupt. But. And there's,
2: they're very much intertwined. But yes, that, I think that was a great summary speech is how you say it. Um, and then if they have difficulty with one, they often will have difficulty with the other. And um, some things are more obvious than others. But that's why we would want to do a comprehensive evaluation just to see where those difficulties
1: are. Yeah. So, <laughs> excuse me. Um, one of the things that I, I want to hear your thoughts on is as you have worked with um, families and with child care providers um, what are some common misunderstandings or myths that you've found about speech delays or language development my,
2: my favorite or my least favorite that I <laughs> let's
1: start there <laughs> he's a
2: boy and he'll grow out of it and he'll be fine so that's oh. often what we hear so specifically um,
1: be, uh, with boys
2: yes yeah, specifically with boys mm-hmm. um and I think a lot of this is um, perpetuated by the fact that pediatricians will st- still say this. Oh, he's a boy, so he'll be fine. He- boys develop later. Oh. Um, and not all pediatricians. There are some great ones out there that refer early, but um, definitely that's, I feel like that's a myth because – Um, We don't know that the boy will grow out of it just because he's a boy. Um, Males are actually more at risk to have speech and language um, difficulties than females are. So if they are showing delays early on then we want to to do a screening or an evaluation to see, um, you know, and a lot of kids may catch up on their own, but we don't know which ones will catch up on their own and which ones need therapy. So, um, it doesn't hurt to do that evaluation and, and see, but just because they're a boy doesn't mean that they're going to develop their speech and language later.
0: (coughs) So one that I've heard a lot is, um, sort of, that it's a choice that the child is choosing to not speak because maybe they have older siblings. I often will hear that they have older siblings that are talking for them, so they don't need to talk. Or sometimes you'll hear they're lazy, they don't want to talk. And so that's a huge myth because if a a child can talk, they will talk. So um, that's a big one. And then often I hear um, a story, usually it's about an uncle or a grandparent, and it's something along the lines of, well, he didn't talk until he was five, and now he's a rocket scientist or something
1: like that. So. Yeah, except for the lazy one, I've done both of those, Anne, at some yeah. point in
0: my career. That's, that's
1: relatable. Um, so I want to circle back for a minute, Christy, to the to the boys thing. And I, I think that um, uh, Anne and I have talked about this a little bit, but I didn't realize that that males were more at risk. Um, yes. So do we know why that is or what it means I mean, or what just, do we do with that information? I know.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, there appears to be, a, they're all, you know, we're always doing research on in this area and we don't really know why other than there seems to be some kind of genetic component to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there's not a clear reason why. So, but yeah, I mean, my caseload at all times is typically 70% male, 30% female. So, um, so it's, it's definitely a a real thing. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I I was now I'm, I'm wondering if there was something I wanted to ask Anna as a follow-up to what she was, those three, three myths that she was sharing, but maybe I'll just ask, how do you respond if someone says, um, well, they have older siblings who talk for them or they're just lazy and they don't want to do it. Like, like, what's your re- typical response?
0: They're typically kind of framing it um, as that children, if they can talk, they will talk. Okay. And um, yeah. yeah, it's it's usually an ongoing conversation, I think, too.
1: Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think about um, the older sibling one, I think it's just because that's one of those things that, on the face of it makes sense. Like, of course, they have older siblings talking for them, so they don't have to do it as much, so that's why they're not doing it, but that's when we have to sort of move beyond that sort of folk wisdom and figure out where the expertise is and who can I ask about this? Right. Um, and I, I feel like that's, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned from, from being here with you guys. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and you each sort of have different age groups that you specialize in um, for, so for each of your, your, so Christy, maybe you can do this for infants and toddlers and, and for preschool, but what, what things are indicators that a child might need extra support or might just need a screening? Sure,
2: so I mean it depends on how how young you want to go, but typically around age one is when we want to see those first words, right, so twelve to fifteen months um, are they have they tried to say a word um, and then by age, oh, and then receptive language, we don't wanna forget about that either. Are they responding to their name? Are they following simple directions? One of the first things we want to rule out if we're not seeing some of these things are is, is a hearing loss. So, and it could be temporary hearing loss with ear infections. We see that frequently here with allergies and other things that are causing um, middle ear fluid and ear infections, and that can cause um, some delays because the child isn't having access to, to full hearing across the frequency of sounds and and things like that and it's something that I think parents don't often think about because usually they've had a newborn hearing screening in the hospital they pass that hearing screening and so they think well hearing is fine that can't be contributing so um so often we do see kids that have these frequent ear ear infections and their speech and language are impacted and so um so sorry, I went off on a little bit of a tangent there. but um, So that's um, something that's often happening around that one-year-old range. Um, and then also if a child has words and then they lose words. That's a really, really important risk factor that we want to do an evaluation. Like we don't want to wait in those cases. So if a parent says to me, well, he was using five words or 10 words and then now he's just not saying them anymore at all, um, that can be a red flag for other um, concerns. And so we would want to do an evaluation there. Um, Also, you know, by by 18 months, I would hope to see around 50 words. Again, this can be variable depending on the child. It's um, you know, if they have 48, I'm not <laughs> concerned, but, um, and then understanding more and more language. Um, are they using gestures and pointing? And then by two, um, I would want to see a, several hundred words that they're using and starting to combine words together into phrases. Those are the really big mile um, milestones that, I, that I'm looking for for language. And then just in general, are they Able to communicate their wants and needs. Or are they getting frustrated? Um, do they seem to not understand um, things that are happening? Um, so, um,
0: so I think I think those are the big ones. Mm-hmm. So then, um, right now my focus is preschoolers. So thinking of that three to five year old age group. So. Even for three-year-olds, um, a vocabulary for a three-year-old, they go through a huge leap. So we're, we're talking about around a thousand words. So if you have a three-year-old that just doesn't seem to have a lot of variety in what they're talking about, um, maybe this three-year-old or four-year-old, uh, it, It takes them a long time to learn a new word and to use it, that could be a red flag that vocabulary would be an area for them that they need some support in. Um, And then receptively, so when we talk about that we're talking about understanding of language. So preschoolers should be able to understand multiple step directions Um, and follow those, you know, within routines, but also some more unfamiliar directions. They should be able to understand a lot of different concepts, so location words like in, out, next to, behind, Um, starting to understand some number concepts, um, those sorts of things. And then if we think about... um, grammar for preschoolers, they're learning to use a lot of different grammar pieces. But if you notice that um, you know you have a four-year-old and when they're putting words together it sounds more like a two-year-old because they're missing a lot of those grammar pieces, that would be an indicator to have an SLP take a look and do a screening for that. Um, And then socially I would say thinking about the purposes of their communication. So we want Preschoolers to be using their language for a variety of purposes. So if you have someone who is only labeling when they're talking and they're not really requesting or socializing um, Then that could be a red flag as well
1: <laughs> Thank you <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was making notes and I have to go back to some questions that I have based on what you guys were just talking about so um I, I know that that I've, I've been part of conversations with both of you where we talk about following directions, but that doesn't mean obedience, right? Like we're not right. talking about okay. compliance. Yeah. So, yeah. what, what, when you talk about following two or three step directions, or what, what, talk about what that means?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it is hard to tease out whether a child is not understanding directions or not complying but I do think that if you know the child there's some cues that they can give you you can kind of see it in their face sometimes sure. if they're choosing not to follow and it's more of a okay. hater but for language so a two-step direction um might be something like get a book out of the basket and then bring it to Joseph so it has two different steps that they'd have to complete
1: okay and so it's not we're not gonna have send them for a language screening because they don't sit and listen to the whole story during story time like that's not the kind of following directions that we're necessarily talking about
0: right here I guess some some cues that a child's not understanding would be maybe you give them that direction and they just look at you and they have a puzzled look or maybe you see that this child can complete the first step of a direction Mm -hmm. they seem to always miss that second step so those are the indicators that it's more of that receptive language
2: and then for the really young kids looking at if if a parent says um, no, like do they at least, maybe they're not going to, stop what they're doing, but do they pause and look at the mom like, oh, I know I'm probably not supposed to be doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's, there's um, some indication of a register. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. And maybe you're playing and you say, oh, I want the cow and see if they follow that. So it's part of just natural play and their natural routines. And do they seem to be following or understanding what um, the parent or caregiver or sibling is,
1: is talking to them about? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to to get a little bit more information about was um, just speech sounds themselves, because that's something that's one of the other things that I'm learning a lot about is when to expect different speech sounds. And so um, can you can you speak to that a little bit like between a, a two year old and a five year old, what would we be concerned about?
2: Sure. So, I mean, for the really young ones, um, I mean, really, it's just, we call them the bilabial sounds. So the lips that your two, your two lips make sounds like M and B and, and P, those sounds are the earliest developing sounds. And so if, if a one or two year old is not doing those, then I might be concerned. But in general, under the age of three, we're not going to work on speech or articulation. We're really focused on the language. But by age three, there is a kind of a big jump and expectation that they're almost 100 percent intelligible or understandable especially to the family and the caregivers you should be able to understand most of what they're saying Mm -hmm. and then if not that's when we might look at um, other um, evaluations for speech or articulation not just the language piece Mm -hmm. and then as
0: they get older we start expecting different sounds so preschool is a huge time to start working on speech yeah. sounds, um, and we always look at the individual child. So for some children, there are indicators to work on some of those later sounds earlier than we might expect, um, but there is sort of a typical progression. So. I guess if you wanted a list of maybe sounds for preschoolers that you'd think about, so F and V, often we start those in preschool. Those are great sounds because um, F, like in farm, you make it, you can see it, you can see your teeth touching your lower lip, so it's easier for a preschooler to understand those cues that you might give them. Um, We'll often start working on K and G, which are harder to visualize, but they're sounds that preschoolers um, typically should be developing. Um, What am I missing?
2: (laughs) That would be, I mean, just usually though if a parent tells me, oh, he's three and he's not using his R sound yet, then I'm not Mm going to be really concerned. So, R and are some of the later developing Mm -hmm. ones. So, Yeah, Yeah, I think that was a good, good summary. The other thing we look at is just the patterns of their um, articulation. So if they're always deleting the ends of words or deleting the beginning of words. So it's really typical for kids to leave off that final consonant, especially up until age three. Um, So maybe they say dot instead of dog. Um, But if they're doing the other thing where they're deleting the initial sound and saying og instead of dog, that's not a typical pattern of development, and I'm going to be um, much more concerned because that would never be a typical pattern that we would expect a child to develop. So,
1: so earlier, um, and this goes back to sort of the beginning of this conversation, you you both mentioned that um, future reading success can be affected mm-hmm. by by delays um, and also social skills or social um, social the social piece of their development um can you can you speak to that like why why does it affect reading and what kind of social concerns would you have
0: I'll let you start
1: okay I'll just tell everybody I didn't I didn't run those by you before
0: okay (laughs) I'll start with social concerns so um So developmental language disorder is kind of this huge umbrella. And so under that umbrella, you might have things like using grammar and understanding language and vocabulary, but social communication is another area under that umbrella that can be challenging for these kids. Um, If you think about it, if you have any challenges putting your words and thoughts and sentences together, it's gonna make it harder for you to engage in conversation um, and you think about, you know, as children get older, the fast pace of conversation with their peers. If you think about, you know, some school-age children around the table at lunchtime in the cafeteria, and how you have to know to shift to whoever's talking and then stay on topic and understand when the topic has changed. There's just a lot of subtleties there as well that can be hard for these kids with DLD to really understand, and so that can lead to some social challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: and then with the reading. I mean, so underneath that umbrella of just language, again, there's morphological awareness, phonemic awareness, phonological awareness. Those are all these, um I think, more smaller parts of language disorders that we don't always think about, but they really affect how a child is going to learn to read and, um, and write and spell. And so it all kind of comes together. And so if they're having difficulties with language, they're probably having difficulty with those other things as well. And so again, a team approach to be able to address those things would be really important. So being part of the, a reading team in school with reading specialists is important. Um, and just, you know, being able to identify it early on. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> I cough every time it's my turn to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so the last thing that I'll ask you then is, um, again, sort of at the beginning of the conversation, we talked about um, the value of collaboration between child care providers and um, uh, SLPs who might be coming and working with children. Do you have, like, one or two pieces of advice or secret wishes you've had when you've yeah. been in classrooms? Or I home. mean,
2: I love when um, early childhood providers and, and preschool teachers or teachers in general just say, hey, can I talk to you about a kid? Or, hey, you know, here are some things that, that we're seeing with some of the kids in our class. Um, how could we do a screening or should we do a screening for the whole class? And so I think it's just for the most part, if you have access to a speech pathologist, they will want to talk to you about it and would be excited to talk and collaborate with you. Um, If you don't have access readily, like if there's not someone already coming in to see a kid, for example, then, then reaching out in the community to find someone, usually they're there. I just had a a daycare provider contact me and ask if we can bring some students and come and do screenings and we're going to, we're happy to go and do it. So, um, so I think it, the resource and supports are out there, it's just sometimes a matter of trying to find them. Yeah. But just opening that conversation
0: up, I think is great. Mm-hmm. My favorite collaborations have been with educators or um, that have let me come into the classroom and been okay with it and sort of just included me in their routine because we know that for these young children, what's best for them is to embed what we're working on within their normal routine, so that means coming in and being in the classroom. Unfortunately, in our field, um, it hasn't always been the case, so there have been speech-language pathologists that have gone to two-year-old classrooms and pulled the two-year-old out of the classroom into a small room to work, mm-hmm. um, and so I think a lot of it is just um, how things had been for a while, but when educators welcome you into the classroom, and and I understand that it is, it can probably be a little bit nerve-wracking to have someone <laughs> in and feel like that they're watching you, yeah. just knowing that we're there to support this child and we know that you are spending the most time with this child throughout the week. We're only there one time a week for an hour. And so you know so much about this child and we want to work with you to support them when we're not there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And I've loved giving, um, Teachers and educators just ideas on books that can help with a certain sound or a certain concept or um, preposition that the a child is working on. Because then sometimes they've used that book as their circle time book, and then giving them some strategies on how to you know acoustic highlight certain sounds they're working on, or to really target the prepositions in that book. Um, and that way, the child that's getting the speech therapy is getting that reinforcement, but it's also helping all of the kids in the Everybody, class, you know? yeah.
0: I have a question for you. So what would you, as, a, as an early child care provider, what would you have wanted to say to clinicians and therapists coming into the classroom? What advice would you have for us?
1: Yeah, you know, most of the time, um, they would just sort of slip in and out again, without any conversation with me. So I think mine is right along the same lines as yours. Um, where it starts with a conversation, (laughs) like an acknowledgement of what we each can add. Um, not just for that child, but like you said, Christy, for the whole group, because, um, I haven't seen anything yet, um, here since I've been in the preschool language program as that's been used as a technique with a child who has a a delay uh, that wouldn't also be beneficial (laughs) for most other children to, to be part of, um, so I, I think just an openness and, uh, and, you know, probably, and they were uncomfortable. They probably felt like they were sort of on my turf and wanted to get out of my way. And that's probably why they're, they're leaving. Yeah. So yeah. so maybe also some practice taking each other's perspective. Mm-hmm. Good point. A valuable yeah. part of that. Um, and not not making assumptions about what each of us is thinking or feeling (laughs) about that experience.
2: I mean, my ultimate dream would be that every early child care center has a speech and language screening process in place. And that there are definitely um, centers around here that, that do that. And it's just amazing to see it happen because those they're catching those kids. It's reinforcing teachers that, that have concerns, like, you know, it, it reinforces their concerns and then able to have better conversations with parents. And so, um, so that would be amazing if we just had this universal um, screening program that could uh-huh. happen in early care centers. So. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: the folks who listen to this podcast will know that I, you know, this is how yeah. it goes. <laughs> 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 I'm very much just who I am. Um, okay. So any last thoughts or any last words of thank you for having us all yeah, the time but good yeah. to sit down and do this too
0: i know i know i
1: should mention to the people who are listening they're like in their office upstairs and i'm in my office downstairs. <laughs> 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 We're doing this by zoom instead of all being in the same room together <laughs> um, yeah thank you guys so much for being on um i'm yeah. sure that we could think of other topics that would be useful be happy to do that for folks to hear I know that um like I said I've just learned so much that I feel like um I want to do what I can to get it to get the word out to other people so So thanks very much thank you Um, and thanks everybody for listening I hope you'll come back again for another episode goodbye (laughs) okay um, so thanks. <laughs> Thank you. That was good fun. <laughs> I think it's gonna be really good. Um and I'm I'm serious. I think that um we could probably do a couple more and get a little bit more specific. Yeah.
2: Do people ever like, like put some comment back? I mean, because if there's like a topic that people yeah. want that.
1: that they like. like, yeah, they do. Yeah. Um so they'll either like post that because it posts on my nerd Facebook page. Okay, so they'll either post things in the comments or they send me messages. So um yeah, you know, I almost—I would really like to do one that would be just like um, your favorite resources or favorite oh, books or things. Yeah. That I, I mean, I, so if you guys are up for it, I'd love to think about a okay. couple other ways that would be really fun yeah, yeah do this all right you're a pro you are yeah, you're like you're so, natural. <laughs> so since I'm doing this in my office I don't have it all but at home I have like a giant microphone and headphones and I don't know that any of that adds anything yeah <laughs> I'm just pretend playing with. It.
0: <laughs> so how many episodes have you done now
1: um, this one will be like 147. Wow. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. And in January, there were 7,000 downloads in five different countries. So oh you guys have the opportunity here to impact a lot of people. Yeah. Yes. So, um, <laughs> so I will, um, I'll let you know when it's like already and what day okay. it's going to come out. And I told Chanel I'd let her know. <laughs>
0: Yes, months. i yeah. haven't listened to any of your episodes yet I know. No. <laughs> so, you have, so you have a
2: facebook page for it is that what you said
1: yeah it's yeah. just that okay. early childhood nerd <laughs> okay <laughs> excuse me um yeah so i'll i'll tell you when i know what the date yeah. is and when it comes out i'll give you links okay. if you want to do anything with it but
2: okay is it on like the the podcast app on your phone or, it like, is it's on,
1: it's on the iTunes app and it's on Spotify
2: nice and um i'll have to download it it, okay. it
1: feels weird now that you know my real life <laughs> 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 um okay so thank you yeah thank uh, you i'll let you guys go and i'll see you at a meeting here in a little okay whatever.
0: sounds <laughs> good that Bye. will be fun yeah <laughs>
1: And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on.
0: This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.
2: Oh.